This is episode 21 of the CB Northwest and Camp Tadmore Events Podcast. In this episode, we're going back to Men's Roundup 2006, Choose This Day, Who Will You Serve? This is session one with Dr. Charles Cooper. I always wanted to be a a Christmas tree ornament, and um, this shirt really, I'm right there. See me flashing on and off. I mean, that's, uh, that's a great idea, guys. <laughs> I um, I want you to know how uh, pleased I am to uh, come to the camp once again. I uh, saw the pond. It's a little down in in water. I noticed, and um, as I was down there, I was had this image suddenly in my mind in Florida. I live in Orlando, Florida, and two, two months ago, three months ago, there was a young lady who went out for a run to exercise as she normally did, and she stopped at um, a little bridge and pulled the shoes off and was patting her feet in the water, which is a sign in Florida she then, of course, went missing, and we couldn't find her, and we found her, basically her arm, in a 10-foot gator. And uh, as I was down at the pond today, I, I certainly realized something was missing. There were, there were no gators. Um, oh, is that what it is? I'm, okay. Oh, uh, Probably good for you. Probably good for you. You uh, probably good. You couldn't beat them anyway. But anyway, um, uh, uh, but uh, anyway, um, down in Orlando, Florida, we have this uh, wonderful place called Gatorland, where we have um, 10, 12, 14 foot gators who lay around all day and, and wait for you to feed them and. Um, it's a, it's a wonderful experience, and I, as I was watching this young man on this bubble down there, he, big guy jumped off and he went up in the air and, and came down. It, it looked so much like one of those chickens they throw to the 14. <laughs> but anyway, uh, It's nice to be back again. I, I, I fondly remember being here before. Thank you for inviting me back. I, um, I was greatly uh, appreciative of the opportunity to come back. When I was here, I remember talking to some of the leadership about um, trying to get more young people to come to uh, the camp, and it was uh, quite refreshing to see them follow up on that, and this being the first uh, invitation to bring uh, your children uh, specifically and um, that that's encouraging because uh, to me uh, it's important I was asked to come and preach at a Bible conference it's a very historical uh, Bible conference and as I uh, stood to speak the first night there were 
probably three or four thousand people, I guess, there. And as I tried to survey, I, I looked for youth, and I, I didn't see any. Um, every head was white, bald, or uh, in progress. And <laughs> I, my heart sank because I realized that in a, in a short, short period of time, there would be no more people at that conference, and that was kind of, uh, kind of sad. Um, it's very important to make sure that we get the transition, boys. Um, uh, 10, 15 years, most of you will be um, uh, video remembrances, um, and uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's important to have some lineage, and um, there, are all, there are all kinds of things that come with that, of course. Some of you old-timers, you just want to sing all hymns, you'd rather have an organ, and you'd, you know, you want to keep it kind of quiet, and you know, I understand that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And of course, you bring all these young people up in here, they want acoustical guitars and bass and four drum sets. And I mean, they, man, they want to rock and dance and run. And somewhere in the middle is where you got to meet. So good luck. Um, uh, I'm uh, certainly going to pray for you that uh, the Lord will uh, bless you to that end. But now I need a, uh, I need a new music stand. That other one is... Uh, not quite uh, up the paw. So let me get right here so I can do what I need to do. Going to make my job a lot easier with uh, Mark here. What a, what a joy he is. It makes preaching a lot easier when you have a good uh, minister of music. And uh, he set it off just about right. Let's, uh, let's pray and then we'll get to work. Father, thank you so much for the night and for these men, even the ones out under the stars who are listening tonight to hear from your word. Uh, God, it's all about you and it's not about me. It's all about your word. It's not about our thoughts. We are in need of a radical alteration and a challenge before us. So to that end, bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I realize when you postulate the idea of fathers and sons coming to a meeting like this, and that, that engenders certain possible responses. Um, fathers and sons, whenever they get together in close proximity, uh, you can't fake it. It is what it is. It can be very painful because it immediately can invoke regrets, um, disappointments, uh, and in fact, failures. As you are forced or you are confronted with the reality of what it is supposed to be like over against what in fact your relationship may be. I want you to understand that I did not come with the attitude or with the idea that I was going to make this uh, a particularly uncomfortable or disquieting time for you. Rather, I see it as a possibility for us to either salvage uh, a possible future or perhaps even to celebrate 
if you have strived, if you've been striving to build your relationship, or and to some it p perhaps might be a time of mourning. Some of you men um, perhaps will be reminded of what you missed with your own dad, uh, or you may have had to come to the realization that you were never going to have the kind of relationship with your dad that you want, and to hear someone talk about how good it can be may be more unpleasant for you than we realize. But my goal here is really to try to cause all of us to fully appreciate what God intended and hopefully salvage the rest of our days in terms of our relationship with your son. In the early part of the century, a man by the name of Kennedy set sail for the new land. Irish, seeking to escape from the horrible calamity of starvation in his own country, came to America, little boy. He soon set upon the journey that we have come to call the American dream. His first business was liquor business. At a time when liquor was not supposed to be in vogue, he made a habit of being at the right place at the right time and made a lot of money as a result. From liquor, he moved to insider trading, stock manipulation. He engaged in practices that he would subsequently, some years later, write new laws against. But he made a lot of money. Joseph P. Kennedy then, of course, moved into the political arena. And at the height, became ambassador to Britain in a very critical year. 19... 38. He had nine children. His first son was John P. Kennedy Sr. He was killed at the age of 29 when a plane that he was attempting to fly across the English Channel to drop a payload of bombs in Germany exploded. He was never found. His second son, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, became president of the United States but was murdered at the age of 46. His third child was a woman, a girl, Rosemary Kennedy, who was born with some mental difficulties and at age 23 was given a lobotomy which left her totally incapacitated for the rest of her life some 60 plus years. His fourth 
child, a girl, Kathleen Kennedy, was killed in a plane crash at the age of 28 years old. Eunice Kennedy might, in some estimations, be the only one of his children who had some kind of life that resembles normalcy. Patricia Kennedy was an alcoholic. With all the glamour and the glitz, found no happiness. Robert F. Kennedy, his son, of course, was assassinated. Gene Kennedy, the eighth, has a remarkable life recently serving as a United States ambassador and was quite instrumental in the reduction of violence between the IRA and the government of Britain. His baby boy, Senator Edward Kennedy. You draw your own conclusions about him. <laughs> What, what happened? Why so much tragedy in that family? The old man, as a result of a stroke, 1961, until he died, was greatly incapacitated, and spent most of those years incoherent. In 1938, when J.P. Kennedy was appointed ambassador to Britain, he was appointed at a critical phase in American history. By all estimations, and certainly by my own, God gave him a critical post as ambassador to Britain. He came to a fork in the road. And he chose unwisely. He was a close friend of a leading Jewish lawyer named Felix Frankfurter, who helped him get his sons into the London School of Economics, very positive in helping in his life. But according to Harvey Klimmer, who served as one of Kennedy's embassy aides, Kennedy habitually referred to Jews as kikes, shinies. Klimmer, in fact, reports that on one occasion Kennedy said some individual Jews are all right but as a race they think they stink they spoil everything they touch on June 13 1938 Kennedy met with Herbert von Dirksen the German ambassador in London 
who upon his return to Berlin reported that Kennedy had told him, quote, it was not so much the fact that we want to get rid of the Jews that was so harmful to us, but rather the loud clamor with which we accompany this purpose. Kennedy himself fully understood our Jewish policy, von Dirksen is reported to have said. The Jews, in 1938, in Germany, needed a friend. But they did not have one in our ambassador. He was not a vocal supporter, but was in fact hostile, anti-Semite. What he, what he didn't know was, tucked away over there in that Old Testament, was a little verse of which his life ran afoul. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. Subsequent to that, God says in Exodus 34, I'll punish you, I'll punish your kids, I'll punish your grandkids. In fact, I'll punish your great-grandkids. If you don't like me and my stuff, Generational curses can be deadly daddies to your boys. You are passing something to your children. The question is what? You are either a blessing or you are a curse. Be careful what you do. It is possible to pass along so much devastation and disaster that it'll take generations to correct. Sometime when you have time, Do an internet search of Joseph P. Kennedy family, you will see that the destruction is now in the third generation. And it is tough to take. You gotta be wise, men. You gotta you gotta wake up. Somewhere along the line, they convinced us that, hey, listen, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody but us, it's okay. Went to my orthodontist, left his wife for a younger woman. I'm seated there in a the chair, he tells me, hey, I'm not hurting nobody but myself. 
his son now divorced, his daughter now divorced, his grandkids don't love grandpa. Hey, didn't hurt nobody but me. Oh, if it was only that simple. I can assure you, it is not. I want to talk this weekend about the Malachi condition. If you have your Bible, open to Malachi chapter 4. Malachi is in the Old Testament. Some people call him Malachi. Italian background. Wrapped into a prophetic portion about the yet future. He begins chapter 4, he says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and evil, every evildoer will be chaff, and the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But as for you who fear the name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. You will tread down the wicked, for they will be ash under the soles of your feet on the day when I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, it says in verse 4. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all of Israel. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. The Malachi condition. There's quite a bit of conjecture about what he means by he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Most people assume that he's describing a breakdown in the familiar relationships. And Elijah is going to come and restore harmony in families. But that interpretation is most unlikely. If it had said, restore parents to children, incorporating both mom and dad, boys and girls, then perhaps you might have a case for that conclusion. But the fact that it says, restoring sons to fathers and fathers to sons, as if the girls are perfect, is highly unlikely. closer to what he's probably arguing is that Elijah will restore the relationship between the unbelieving, disobedient children and the believing ancestors or the fathers. By fathers, he doesn't mean 
the immediate generation of mom and dad, but the fathers, the traditions, the sages, the men of old. Because this generation, for whatever reason, has abandoned the traditions of the fathers. The obedience to the commands of God. The obedience to his laws and his statutes and his ways that the father set forth and lived but forgot to pass to the children. And over the years, not only were they abandoned, but they were abandoned and then forgotten. And God says, I need a prophet. Greatest prophet of old to come in and undo the Malachi condition. Being, uh, I'm 47, I have seen this happen. Men, we, we, we're not passing on the traditions. In fact, our culture has come in and told us that our traditions are unworthy to be passed on. They don't make sense. And we got a new generation of young people who basically looked at our lives and said, you know what, you're a bunch of liars. It doesn't work. Therefore, we don't want it. And every 30, 40 years, of course, you come up with one of these new generations. And they had the Gen X, and the Gen Ys, and the Gen Who's, and the Gen How Many's. And now we have the postmodern who said, with all of your science and all of your rules and all of your laws, hey, we don't want it. We're going new. Only problem is that this generation is not as postmodern as postmodernism is. What they want to reject is your truth, but not your toys. They want to reject your truth, but not your sins. That is in full perpetuation. What we must do, fathers, with your sons, is ensure that we pass along some truth, but not in word, but in deed. I don't tell you, I woke up one day and someone said, hey, listen, we got a whole new generation called postmodern. I said, wow, you got to be kidding. This is great. They're telling me I won't believe it if I don't see it. Good for you. Because God can show you exactly what you want to see. This is not bad, man. This is the best thing since sliced bread. Your kid is telling you, hey, Dad, I'll believe what you say if I can see it. I've been trying to tell you forever you wouldn't listen. But now if you promise me that you'll believe it if you see it, then I'm going to show you. 
We got a deal. God's always been a show and tell God. <laughs> He's always been up to the challenge. And the challenge of our generation is that they want to see us do and be what we say. The Malachi con condition is this. It's, it's the abandonment of the traditions that brought us, maintains, and keeps us. And to fail to pass those along, men, is most tragic. Most tragic indeed. Turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 16. Reminiscent of Malachi 4 5. Luke 1, 16 and 17 says, And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. What he's talking about here is, ladies and gentlemen, that there needs to be a revival in the land among the children to return to the faithful product of our fathers. I'm going to try my best this week, fathers, to convince you that you, got a, you have a tradition worth, it's worth passing along. We have teaching worthy of our next generation. Fathers, what we, are, what we are to teach and to pass along are those basic foundational truths sure the longevity of our race. We cannot afford to abandon ought to leave willy-nilly our convictions. For our truths ensure that our progenitors, that our progenitated, that our children have a life worth living. The traditions, not the dry, stale old rubrics of stand, sing, bow, pray. That, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about truths worth living and dying for, like freedom. I'll tell you something, I've been a little saddened the last couple of days, boys. I'm a chaplain for a fire department. One of my boys fell in the line of duty. I'm also the pastor of a church. 
I bury people all the time. Driving too fast on a slippery road. Fell asleep at the wheel. Ate too much. Heart attack. Ate too much. Of the wrong thing. Of course, you go to the funeral of the fallen firefighter, and of course, everyone's sad. Ladies and gentlemen, in this country, every day we lose thousands of people to nonsense, drug overdose, drive by shootings, squabbles, embezzlement gone bad every day. But in that number of thousands who die daily are a couple of men who die in the line of duty defending traditions worth dying for. So you can imagine how unhappy I was recently talking to a friend of mine who told me that his boy, he was raising his boy not to like guns, won't let him play with guns. Boys will be boys. Even a banana becomes a gun. <laughs> Doesn't let him play with G.I. Joe. I was over there the other day, he's, he, he's into dinosaurs, T-Rexes and all this kind of stuff like this. He has this big, long, green neck thing, something, I don't know. As I walked by the kid's door, I saw him with the neck in one hand, the body in this hand, and he was mowing them down. <laughs> hey, boys will be boys. You don't want him playing with guns. You don't want to do that because he doesn't want him to be killed. He doesn't want his child to die. He wants him to be saved. To which I say, hey, in order for him to be saved, your son, somebody else is going to die. There are some traditions worth dying for. Which ones are yours? What are you teaching that boy? The truths of God's word, young men, they're truths that transform broken lives. Let me tell you about Eddie. Eddie grew up, became a very skillful worker for AT&T, worked 30 years, retired. In his 28th year of working, $85,000 in a 401k, house paid for, everything's wonderful, two years from retirement. Started hanging around with a new friend who introduced him to a habit he'd never thought about. But it was fun, made you feel good, 
Everything in secret is fun. Then it started getting a little expensive. First thing you know, his whole check. And then that wasn't enough. Then it was savings. And that wasn't enough. $85,000 in a 401k that had taken him 20 years to build. Drew down. What kind of man would take a $20,000 penalty to draw his money down to go down to a house and sit there all day just to snort? And he did. One day he woke up and all of the money is gone, salary is gone, in debt, late for job. I mean, just, um, he was a mess. You know what tradition his daddy passed on to him when he was a little boy? Go for the gusto. As a matter of fact, when I met him the first time, that's all he remembered of his daddy. Go for the gusto, boy. And there he was sleeping in his car. <laughs> See, Eddie, what kind of fool are you? He was a fool that didn't get the traditions passed on. That's what kind. The Malachi condition that left a boy hovering in disaster. Listen, dads, you are passing on a tradition. You're either blessing or cursing. Now, I know that there are many reasons for who you are and what you are. Some of you, you didn't have a good daddy yourself. You're only doing what you know. Okay. Some of you had a pretty good dad. You just didn't listen. He didn't beat you enough. Some of you didn't have dad at all. But I want you to know you got a chance. You got a chance. Some of you grandpas, you got a chance. Great grandpa, you got a chance. Brother, you have a chance. You're not even a daddy yet. No excuse. to pass on an inheritance that will keep your life intact. I find it interesting that God says, you know what, if I don't restore these people, I will destroy the land and them with it. Is it really any wonder as you look around that you, you feel kind of nervous if you're kind of 60? If you're 60 years old looking at this generation, I'd be a little nervous. All that you worked for, all that some of your friends died for, all that you dedicated your life to, kids spit on it. If I were you, I'd be, I'd be somewhere in a, in a, in a, I'd be somewhere in a hole somewhere saying, did I, I work for that? 
I'm leaving it to that? But if you don't, if you don't, if you don't, if you don't ensure the transition of the traditions, there is no positive outlook on tomorrow. You're either passing curses or blessings. It's up to you to make sure which one. One day his entire squadron was sent on a mission. After he was airborne, he looked at his fuel gauge and realized that someone had forgotten to top off his fuel tank. He would not have enough fuel to complete the mission and get back to his ship. His flight leader told him to return to the carrier. Reluctantly, he dropped out of formation and headed back to the fleet. But as he was returning to the ship, he saw something that turned his blood cold. A squadron of Japanese bombers was speeding their way toward the American fleet. The American fighter was gone on a sortie and the fleet was all but defenseless. He couldn't reach his squadron and bring them back in time to save the fleet, nor could he warn the fleet of the approaching danger. There was only one thing to do. He must somehow divert them from the fleet. This one lone airman with the 50 caliber mounted machine gun changed his direction and flew into that Japanese formation and began to wreak havoc. He shoot what he could shoot, tried to clip the wings of what he could clip, in other words, just made himself a living nuisance. He was successful. He so frustrated the, the formation that they did, in fact, break off. When his plane damaged, it limped in and landed on the ship. Most of you probably know exactly who I'm talking about. You know your history. You ever flown into Chicago O'Hare Airport? It's named after the boy. His name was Butch O'Hare. Decorated, celebrated young man put his life on the line to save somebody else. Part one of the story. Part two is in Chicago, a lawyer by the name of Easy Eddie, Al Capone's private attorney. By all accounts, Easy Eddie was one of the finest lawyers Chicago has ever produced. And through his cunning capabilities, kept Brother Al out of prison a long time. In fact, Al Capone would not have gone to prison had it not been the fact for the fact that Easy Eddie turned state's evidence on him in a jail. Some years later, they found Easy Eddie in an alley, riddled from head to toe. 
murdered. Everyone knew it was because of his betrayal of Uncle Al. In an autobiography written about Easy Eddie and his sordid life and his bad behavior, he had one soft spot in his life, his little boy. A little boy that he saw fit to make sure, got the best education, had the finest things in life that he could afford whom he guarded and protected carefully to ensure that he was never touched by his sordid life. Easy Eddie is a footnote in history because of Uncle Al, but Easy Eddie's son, Butch O'Hare, is memorialized in the world's busiest or second busiest airport. How do you get one and not the other? Tell you how. Even if you're the worst dad in the world, you can still pass on a good tradition. It's never too late. Come on, ask you to bow your heads. Listen, listen, men, I, I didn't come here to beat you up or to embarrass you or to make you angry or I came here to try to encourage you, all of us, to salvage if need be, celebrate if we can, and mourn if we must. Our sons. So your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. Listen, men, if your son is seated next to you, or if he's back home, or if he's across the sea, wherever he is, I want to challenge you to be sober this weekend. I don't, want, I don't want emotion, although you may be certainly moved. I want you to be sober and sane and calm and rational. And I want you to make a commitment tonight through the power of God to work on that relationship if it kills you. That means you're willing to be embarrassed. It means you're willing to be uncomfortable. It means you're willing to put yourself in a place that maybe you've never been. It means that you may be, you may have to sit in a chair unable to speak and allow your son or sons 
to say anything they want to you and you cannot respond but to ask the question. I'm going to ask you to do something this weekend that perhaps may be the hardest thing you've ever done in your entire life. Listen to what your son really thinks about you. You may be surprised. But we do it not for to be embarrassed. We do it because we want to honor the Lord. And you want to leave your heart and soul to somebody who will care for it. And make sure that your traditions go on. Now, I realize it could be very frightening. It could be very uncomfortable. You may be out of your comfort zone. But I'm going to ask you to do it anyway. I'm going, to ask your, I'm going to ask your men to make a commitment to do this. And what I want you to do is, I, now listen to me, don't move yet. I, I want you to just stand right where you are. If you're willing to say to me, Coop, you're asking me to do something I don't like. I don't like it, don't feel it, not in me. But because God has deposited with me the truth and the traditions of our faith and the privilege of being in this greater country we call America, I want to deposit my convictions into somebody to ensure their longevity. And that person is my son. You may not know what it means. You may not be able to do it yet. I'm asking for the commitment to try. If that is your heart conviction tonight, I just want you to stand right where you are. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, nobody's looking around. This is, this is personal and individual. I don't want to manipulate you. I'm not trying to work your emotions, man. This is serious business. For 1,000 years, the church was in darkness because a generation didn't pass on salvation by grace through faith alone. It took a man, Martin Luther, to come along and say, hey, somewhere somebody forgot the tradition. And tonight we want to make sure that the core essentials of what we believe and hold dear is entrusted to somebody. And I want that somebody to be your son.
so many of you are standing, I'm going to pray for you. Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, and you young men, you're here with your dad, I want you to see your dad standing because he's making a commitment. Doesn't mean he's perfect, doesn't mean he's perfect in execution, it means he's making a commitment through the power of God's spirit to rise up and to be that man of God who entrusts the traditions to a faithful son. Father, in a sane and sober moment, not rushed or compelled by the time or the occasion, we stand before you bare, for you know us perfectly. I ask you tonight, Father, for every man that's standing in this place to give us a super measure of grace. We may have been so busy chasing the silly rainbows of life that we have forgotten to make sure to pass on our truths. or out of fear, or anxiety, or doubt, or anger, or whatever, God, I ask you in the name of Jesus to wash and cleanse us and to forgive us. For we've sinned. And we ask you, O oh God, to be merciful to us. Look over our mistakes. Wipe us with your grace. Give us another chance. Give us the words and the heart and the passion to ensure that this great faith is entrusted to our son. We want to be a blessing and not a curse. We want to be because of, not in spite of. And most of all, God, we want our children to be saved eternally with us in the kingdom forever. Father, as we wrestle this weekend with this truth, may your spirit reign supreme. In Jesus' name.